Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, where you can hear the rest. I think it's one place where Grant Morrison is far ahead of Alan Moore is that in their work, they've inserted a lot of uh, queerness from the from the beginning to a lot of their work in a way that I think Alan Moore didn't lean as heavily into so I, I give them total credit for that especially in the 80s it was uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of that in the landscape and when the book started actually it was not even a vertical book it was like a dc proper proper book that kind of retroactively became labeled uh vertigo when they um put it into its own corner of the dc universe so 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 they were doing this in what was at the time a mainstream dc book putting these things in there which i think is you know very risky and forward thinking Especially because, I mean, early Vertigo comics, and I know there was sort of this age where Vertigo was here being like, you know, no, comics can, you know, be more than superheroes going wham, bam. They can be, you know, these complex stories. Um, and I brought this up um, on on the video I did about A Wolf Among Us because I was touching on fables, but like a lot of the stuff has aged really poorly. Um, a lot of the queerness is either weird kind of Garth Ennis isn't butt fucking funny or it's too <laughs> like kind of, you know, cis, you know, um, lesbians together and sort of a titillizing kind of way, you know, um, I do, I do actually really like the character of Larry and I feel, I like I said, just full disclaimer, um, I haven't read the Doom Patrol comics, um, but I do like Larry a lot in terms of his journey. And obviously a lot of it's a little on the nose. He does not like what's inside of him and he has to conceal it, you know, kind of stuff um but i really feel like he's had such a good arc you know and he's just really well done and i find him incredibly incredibly like sympathetic which is neat because i think a lot of doom patrol is you're supposed to be very annoyed <laughs> at how self-destructive everybody is Something oh yeah that- i want to be clear i love him too don't get me wrong it's just to keep up my orientation to the start of it uh Something else that I kind of think about. Well, actually, I'm going to say this real quick. This is what I didn't like about the first episode, in case anybody's wondering. And it's not a ton of stuff. And a lot of this is kind of idiosyncratic in that some of the stuff I know people actually really like. But one thing I really hate in uh, any adaptation is if you try to be too cheeky with the Easter eggs and the hints and the mm-hmm. obnoxious foreshadowing. You know, like, uh, hey, like, I want to really lean on foreshadowing and Easter eggs to kind of uh, disguise weak writing. You know, I always feel like it's got a kind of pander and a lot of the DC Arrowverse shows, even though I liked them at first as a guilty pleasure, just kind of went too hard into that, you know, with uh, just loading up with Easter eggs to help uh, mask like a lot of weak, weak writing. So add that with a character where their explicit gimmick is breaking the fourth wall in that first episode. But, you know, for example, I didn't read the Morrison issues yet before i started watching it but there's a part where um the opening villain the opening scene is like uh yeah i was a real nobody and i was like okay is this a dc character named nobody you know and i googled it i'm like <laughs> i'm like oh yeah and, and the yeah. way the dialogue so 
called attention to it. I'm like, it's going to be one of those shows where it's like, you know, is someone going to come out and say, you know, it's not like we're some kind of patrol. Yeah, maybe a Doom Patrol. I thought it was going to be just one of the shows full of those stupid, like, lines where people just yeah. keep winking at the audience. And the first episode kind of had, like, a lot of that. I think the Donkey Fart was an example of it. Like, you know, look how clever and cheeky we are and everything. And then uh, another thing I didn't like about the first episode, which I thought was very CW, was the racetrack scene. The racetrack scene was so out of character stupid to me, especially compared to, like, the rest of the show. Like, it just doesn't fit at all, but it's, like, so campy like he's driving the car at top speed but he can look to the side and see in regular motion his wife rubbing the um guy's chest trying to make out with you know uh his the guy that works in the pit i forget what that position is called i'm, I'm talking about for right. uh, Cl- clip steel yeah yeah and, and he's driving and looking to the side and it's like he's in a car that's sitting still looking at somebody in the driveway you know and it's like what are you guys doing and they're, they're locking eyes with him and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is not, I know it's not realistic, but that's not how a speeding car works. You can't just <laughs> have a casual conversation and just look to the side. The person should be there for a split second and disappear. So I was like, is this show meant to be surreal? Is it campy? Like, what is it trying to do here? And also, I just find it weird that his wife is literally trying to kill him and it's just treated like a little quirk. Like, that's just really crazy to me that they just mm. sweep over that. Like, I understand he was a jerk. He was cheating. But that's still the father of, um, you know, their daughter. So it's killing like, is a whole different level. Yeah. 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 Killing is a whole different level. She's literally trying to kill him. And he just kind of shrugged off like, yeah, you know, stuff happens in marriages. And, you know, he, he's, he's <laughs> sorry now. Let's get back together. I just thought, okay, this, this show is just really um, bizarre. And then little things like critics. They're going to hate the show. And I'm like, okay, I hate when shows do that, but they try to. Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, once Jeremy Carver was gone, all that was taken away. And then from the second, and you know, what's even crazier is when I was looking up reviews of the show, someone for Forbes reviewed just the first episode and trashed the show and said, oh, this is a really bad show. And then they came back later at the end of the season and said, yeah, I was totally wrong. It was just the first episode. The same person came back and said, you know, a lot of people told me to give the show another try. And, you know, um, they didn't call out the writer by name like I did, but they just said, um, oh, yeah, it was a better show than I thought. It was just taking its time to get there. And I'm like, no, I just think they just had a really bad writer for the first uh, episode. And yeah, that's the last I have to say about the first episode. But just in case anybody was wondering why I didn't like it. Yeah, those are all fair criticisms. Uh, One good thing I will say about it, though, at least it was not decompressed. Like everybody's (laughs) story was there in the first episode. And by the end, like it wasn't like a Netflix show where like, you know, (laughs) one episode would have just been uh, getting to the crash. It was like a Netflix Marvel show. Like, you know, in episode one, he would have not even the second crash, the first crash that didn't kill him. That would have been episode one of a Netflix um, Marvel show if it was done like that. And thankfully... That's one good thing I will give that first episode, that it set up everything at a breakneck pace that was very good. That, and Yeah. So, yeah. It's been also pretty good about when it does handle flashbacks. Because, yeah, that's like the thing. Netflix especially, like, loves to do this. I'm, like, dreading Cowboy Bebop live action because every single episode is going to be, like, something in contemporary happens to Spike Spiegel, which flashes back to when he did the same thing in his mysterious past, you know. The legacy um, of Lost. Yes, I know, right? That came out of Lost and suddenly it was like, oh, I need flashbacks. I need them with my life. 
Um, and yeah, and I mean, also, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, like after lost flashbacks just have to be baked, baked into every like serial, like televised show. And it definitely is in doom patrol, but I feel it kind of seems to have be a little more mindful on when it wants to use it. Like, um, going back to Larry, like he has this like flashback where he's like, his little kids, like, I love you, dad. I made a rocket ship. And he's like, well, this rocket ship isn't correct at all. You have to fix it, you know, and little details like that, you know, and it's like a side thing too. It's not like every single episode, you know, we see a character, you know, before they were, you know, got like mutilated by these powers, learning a lesson or not learning a lesson, you know. One of the absolute worst for that, that took the Lost formula and said, hey, if Lost did this and was good, if we do it five times as much, we'll be five times as good, is the show Arrow. The show Arrow bakes flashbacks into the show to the point that, you know, the first five seasons are 50% flashback. Like, it's mm. really over the top. And the flashbacks just get really, to me, kind of stupid. Because what happens in the flashbacks in, in uh, Arrow is that he ends up having so many adventures in the past that he's not even stranded on a desert island anymore. He, he, the show is just basically about somebody who was on a desert island for about a month and then just became a superhero for like five years before they, you know, reappeared at the end of the five years in in the beginning of the pilot. It was just really, I thought, way too much flashback. It was a 50% flashback show is, um, I think, a bit too much, especially when it becomes clear you're making up the flashbacks as you go along. <laughs> oh, that's interesting too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, the, oh, here's one thing I, I didn't like about the pilot as well. Uh, Rita Farr with the one-armed man on the um, set that disgusts her so much that she has to have him removed from the movie. That felt a little heavy-handed too, kind of similar to how you said, like, you know, Larry has something inside him that he hates. I just felt too on the nose. Like, mm. this woman who just um, is so disgusted by disfigured people and whatever immediately becomes disfigured, like, five seconds later. And, you know, I, I just thought she was just so casually monstrous in a way that... Mm the rest of her depiction just didn't line up with. I agree because there's other parts too that do show her have a lot more in character flaws because everything else like that, like I agree is like almost like out of character given like what we end up learning about Rita overall, you know, but then her actual like true, you know, kind of flashback thing where, you know, she hadn't, there was an up and coming actress and she was like, Oh, just, you know, sleep with the directors, you know, and this girl came to her for help and Rita completely like, abandoned her and that to me feels a lot more in character with Rita and with Rita's flaws you know than someone just being like cartoonishly evil you know to get a very ironic comeuppance yeah especially because they didn't really show her that cartoonishly evil before Mm -hmm. or after that again and I just you know um that was another thing about the pilot that I didn't like that again I thought was fixed pretty quickly going forward yeah yeah I it's Having somebody be punished with monstrosity for being monstrous is like is not a great message when it comes to people who have disabilities in real life, right? But you know, I, the, but, but April Bloby's performance is amazing. I mean, she seriously feels like something straight out of Hollywood's golden age. She nails <laughs> the voice so well, and I'm really excited with what they're doing with with her in season three, like her relationship with. I, can I just say it's Madame Rouge? Cause it's like, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Her relationship with Madame Rouge is so interesting. We haven't really seen her um, have an equal 
I think in some ways in the show um, and uh, the way they frustrate each other and inspire each other is a lot of fun. Um, and I, I'm really excited for like what's next for Rita as a glamorous time traveler into the Dadaist past. Um, but her, every line, every line read she does is so excellent. Like I just am imagining her sitting there with the script and just processing it so carefully to figure out what syllable am I doing on this one? And um, it's so well inhabited by her. Oh my God. And for people who don't know what um, it's, it's called like I mean I'm sure you guys know the term, but you know, just for people who don't know, it's uh she does what's called a transatlantic accent, which is what people used to do in old movies. A transatlantic accent, or they used to call it sometimes a boarding school accent, is mm-hmm. an accent that they used to do in old movies in the studio system, and they used to coach actors to do it, which is you sound like you're halfway between British and American, and uh, it's like an accent that doesn't really exist in the real world except like in like boarding school and internationally educated students and they used to deliberately train Hollywood actors to do this. That's why a lot of times you watch old movies and it's like that person sounds kind of British-ish, but not, not really <laughs> British. Like like Catherine Hepburn is an example of yes, someone perfect. who had this accent. And I think uh April Balby, the Bowlby, the actress who who um plays Rita does a good job at the um transatlantic accent. I thought it was a nice touch. It's really fun, especially because it's it's one of those things where, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it just comes from when people start doing talkies, like no one really knew how to talk because normally when you talked as an actor, you were on stage and your voice is really different because you're trying to project and all these people just, you know, come up with, you know, (laughs) on the screen and are trying to find ways to kind of communicate and be expressive. Um, I have a coworker who's an actor and she was telling me, she's like, I don't know, everything's always about her because she's an actor, but I was like, oh, do you ever watch old movies? Yeah. I was like, do you ever watch old movies? Just because it'd come up and she, she, I swear to God, she sounds like this. She's like, I don't really watch them because that way of acting is not how people act nowadays. Oh, so yeah. A lot of modern people think it's either method or nothing. And yeah. Yeah. I I was like, fine, whatever. Don't watch a Marx Brother film. (laughs) Snob. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's also (laughs) weird when you watch old movies to watch transitional kind of movies where it's yeah. the old guard mm-hmm. acting with the new guard because you can see like two acting styles in one movie like in Marathon Man and you see like uh, Lawrence Olivier and um, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman and one is method acting and one is <laughs> not. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see the whole evolution of that, you know, but I really did think they did a good a good touch with her. Sometimes, oh, here's, here's one thing I find interesting about this show. I want to ask you guys about it. Here's two things. I, here's two things. I don't like to have nothing to do with the pilot, but, you know, even come from the good writers. And I won't say I don't like it so much as I just don't understand the point of it. Why is everybody from a different time? Because I don't feel like they justify it enough. And I think it makes things kind of weird because what happens is it means that some of these people have been in this state for a couple of decades just sitting in a house. And then to me, it makes the relationship kind of weird because I'm like, okay, you've been in the house this long and you've never learned to control your body melting. You know, mm-hmm. and you just seem so chill about it. Like everyone is acting like they've only been in this house or whatever for um, maybe a handful of years at most. But you find out some people have been there for like 10, 20, 30 or even, you know, longer years. And I'm like, OK, Chief has not really shown you guys a lot as far as how to control anything, really. He just had you sit in the house. Yeah. 
I think that sounds purpose. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna be like in depth, I think it's metaphorical for just like going back to all those like buzzwords like toxicity and you know learned helplessness and stuff. Because there is some effect because um, when Larry meets um, that Russian cosmonaut who has a negative spirit, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Oh yeah, it was really hard. It took me five years." And he's like, "Wait, what? What?" Um, and I I do think there is kind of a level there about these people who do have powers that could be, you know, fantastic and could be controlled. And they're all just very self-loathing. And I think there's also kind of a resentment to embrace these powers as well. And I do think I'm excited for Rita as well, because I do think a lot of her arc is finally, you know, going to be, you know, actually like managing her powers and becoming this, this superhero that she kind of is like, you know, dreaming about being finally. I agree. Yeah. But one other problem I have with the, um, long timelines too is that it created a need for everybody to have a different reason why they weren't aging and because they didn't all get their powers the same way you couldn't um give everyone the same reason so it's like suddenly everybody doesn't age and i'm not 100 sure why some people don't age like i don't fully understand why chief doesn't age but i'm like okay whatever he's done enough weird stuff with magic and science yeah that it's probably just something off screen Rita, I'm guessing it's her shape-shifting powers. Like, is she actually not mm-hmm. aging or is she, like, molding her face to stay young? I'm not sure. Larry, they explicitly say it's because of the radiation, so I'm not worried about him. Cliff is in a yeah. is in yeah. a robot suit. <laughs> I do not understand why, what's her, what's her name, Crazy Jane? I do not understand why yeah. she doesn't age. That they just To me, they never said it. Or if they did, I just missed it. But, yeah, do you guys know why she doesn't age? Um, I just think that like it has to be it's like it's like what Emma said like it's it's a way to animate the rest of development that the characters have been in and I, I like I, I just you know, like the, you know the easy the, the easy answer is also sort of like yeah don't worry about it but I also just think like it's it shows you how much he has arrested their development in those ways yeah I think I think Emma said it really well all right so that was a preview if you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.